Hey fellow chasers, just a quick note before we get into the episode to please rate and review the show. Check out thechasepodcast.ca for more content, and most importantly, if you like what you hear, please share it with someone else who could use a little help on their journey. Just a heads up, if you've got kids with an earshot, this episode contains a couple adult words and some mentions of substance abuse. Here we go. In the movie Rounders, Matt Damon plays Mike McDermott, a poker player chasing the dream of running off to Vegas to make his fortune at the tables. Throughout the movie, Mike repeatedly says the line, you can't lose what you don't put in the middle. The phrase is usually uttered as a caution to his friend, and sometimes himself, to stay smart, measured, and not needlessly risk losing it all. You see, Mike's the sensible type, However, the last time the line is performed, he adds a simple but important qualifier. But you can't win much either. The moral of the story, you can't win if you're afraid to lose. God, I love movies. You're listening to The Chase. I realize this more now, but even as a kid, all—I mean, all my movies were filmed in the neighborhood because I couldn't really go too far. Um, I mean, the first movies we I ever made when I was like you know, maybe like uh, seven or eight, the camera had to be attached to the VCR, which was limiting because you got to plug it into a wall. So it was literally just filmed in our living room, dining room, right? So that was kind of like for me. It kind of breaks down to I guess like it's different eras, right? So that was like the living room era for me. That's the voice of Kiray Pappets an independent filmmaker from Toronto. We're chatting over a pretty decent cup of joe at a coffee time at the corner of Coxwell and Girard. Kiray picked the location. If you aren't familiar with the various neighborhoods that make up Toronto, Coxwell and Girard is in Little India. It's an older neighborhood just next to the beaches, one of Toronto's most affluent areas. It's only a few blocks to the west, but it might as well be a world apart. This is the neighborhood Kiray grew up in. I remember we got, my dad got this camcorder, like a high 8 camcorder, maybe when I was uh, 12, 13, maybe 12, yeah, somewhere in there. And that really changed a lot of things, because now I could go outside, it was battery operated. So, but I still wouldn't go too far, it would still be like in front of the house, or um, we filmed a lot in the alleyway up the street, because it was pretty sketchy and fun. Um, alleyways are great. I think every kid should have an alleyway by them growing up. It's a, I don't know, I spent so much of my youth in the alleyway just sitting there with friends, um, trying to smoke cigarettes, just, just hanging out and just being dumb, being a dumb kid, right? The day we meet up, Toronto is in the grip of a frigid cold spell. To be fair, it was January, but this is a different type of cold. For context, at the zoo, the penguins were brought inside. So... You would think that this would leave the neighborhood in a wintry desolation, but nope. Even on a day like this, coffee time is bustling with an eclectic cast of characters. This neighborhood is something, and it's left an indelible mark on Kire, 
and it's definitely part of the texture of his films. I found most movies in that in the middle era, I guess we'll, we'll call the, the, the high eight era, um, always kind of ended in the alleyway. All like the final, the final like, you know, showdowns would happen in the alleyway. Like the final death scene or like, you know, the good guy finally catches the bad guy, right? And there's like this huge showdown. It would always happen at top of my street in this alleyway. Um, and there's, you know, there's just some great stuff growing up, like, you know, us filming a scene and just people just walking by in the background who are just trying to go home and, you know, just probably looking at us like, what are these, what are these crazy kids doing? That's where I all began, right? And, uh, but no one ever, yeah, never had a problem. No one ever called the cops on us. No one ever complained. So I thought that was kind of cool. Ironically, where we're sitting, we're actually not too far from that alley. But Kiri's filmmaking career has taken him far beyond those prepubescent crime dramas all the way to one of the most prestigious film festivals on the planet. They say opportunity knocks, but sometimes it just calls you out of the blue. I get this random phone call one night. I thought it was like a, a telemarketer at first, and I was kind of being a bit of a dick on the phone until she told me who she was, and then was like, oh, by the way, you know, we'd love to play it. And like, oh, sure. Um, so that was the big, that was a big jump. And I was like, oh shit, wow, okay. This is like, you know, I think as a kid, yeah, I dreamed about playing at TIFF, right? I was like, that was the big thing, right? It was like the big festival in my home city. And that was like a dream come true, right? So this kid from Little India ends up premiering his work at the Toronto International Film Festival. It's a major milestone in a continuing journey, chasing a dream he had since his camera was securely tethered to a VCR. Once I got the bug with just creating, I was like, yeah, this is what I need to do. So I was lucky. I think a lot of people don't have that, right? You hear people even now, you know, and even my sister, you know, just anybody who's just like, you know, even in the middle age, like, oh, I don't know what I want to do still. I'm kind of figuring it out. For me, I never, I was lucky I never had that problem. One of the many problems I never had. I had other problems, but that, that, that was never one of them. I always kind of knew right away where it was, yep, this is exactly what I need to be doing. Kiray knows from an early age what he wants to do and he's supported in his creative pursuits by his parents. It doesn't hurt that his dad is a musician, so the idea of pursuing a career in the arts didn't have this taboo stain on it that other families might have seen. But even with that focus and the support, this journey was far from easy. Well, I should mention my first attempt at doing a feature film with Tattoo. You probably never saw it. Did you see that? You didn't see it. I saw that. Uh, Okay, you're not going to see it because it's terrible. Tattoo is Kiray's first attempt at a serious film. In hindsight, he can see that he wasn't ready to attempt such a feat. He lacked the technical know-how from both a storytelling and cinematography perspective. Two elements that, turns out, are kind of important in making a good film. I found, looking back now, it's pretty pretentious. The whole thing was just, yeah, it was just, it just fell on his face. But like at the time, you don't know that. You're talking about, like, oh, this is great. People are going to love it. And you send it out into the world, and it's kind of like... No, it's actually terrible. Kiray realizes he needs to find his own voice if he's going to succeed in his next filmmaking endeavor. To do that, he looks inwards to his own experience and his own family. That, again, I think, being in a household surrounded by things like substance abuse and then um, divorce and then having like a grow-up in our basement for like the majority of my youth 
is something that most other kids probably don't experience. I mean, some sure some kids do, but no one I no one I knew I, I couldn't sure. necessarily relate. Talk about, yeah, we would talk about right. It's kind of like I mean, my friends knew. Yeah, we just didn't talk about that, right? You know, you, it was hard. You, you can't something you can't really hide, right? It's just, it's it's there, right? Kiray's family challenges inspire his next major project, a documentary on the troubled relationship between him and his sister. It's entitled Only I Know. The film is a pretty raw look at his sister's feelings of rage towards him, something he takes ownership in for his role in creating. It's a tough film to watch at times. It's uncomfortable, which becomes an ongoing element of Kiray's work. I thought it would be a great idea to... <laughs> fucking rent out a movie theater and sh show this agonizing, like, you know, family story to, like, a room full of people that I knew, right? And, like, I don't know why that I thought that was a good idea, but I did. And uh, that was the first time they, and anybody had seen anything, really. Well, that's not true. Maybe some friends had seen some stuff um, when I was, you know, getting feedback or getting other friends to write music for stuff, you know, they'd seen stuff. And, uh, but then it's like, yeah, and I remember just, like, I don't think people really knew what to expect. I didn't think they expected to be something so, so personal and so uh, just heavy. And some members it was just like, I mean, people are like, yeah, that was really good afterwards, but it was still like a weird, it's not something, you know, it's just it's something that um, at the time I felt I needed to do uh, for me, for even for myself to kind of just get a lot of things off my chest and figure out what was going on. Cause I, Things weren't great the way they were going. I, I couldn't really keep going the way on. I couldn't keep going on the way, you know, in that, in, that, in that fashion. So I needed something to change. And it did kind of change after that. Things, things I found did, did change, which was good. I said the film was uncomfortable. It's also really good. It's honest and compelling. The film is fairly well received, and Kiray sends it around to some festivals, something he's never done before. I mean, this is all new to him. Eventually, he hears back from one in New York, and he's in. Excited by the opportunity, and maybe even the dream that this could be his first big break, Kiray sets off with a family friend for this first festival experience. But it doesn't exactly go to plan. I would, there, was this sham, there was this whole scam fest, festival. I don't think it's still around anymore. But basically, it's like, you remember, like, it's almost like you basically you're buying into the festival. So it's not like, it's like anybody can get in as long as you're paying a certain fee. And the idea is like, the more you pay, the more promotion you get, right? So it's like different packages levels, right? So we got like a you know smaller package. So you go to New York and then the idea is like, you know, there's like this huge kind of gathering where you can help promote your movies to different booths and people come by, whether, you know, it's supposed to be inviting, you know, distributors and people in the industry to come by and see what you're doing. No, it wasn't like that. It was a joke, right? It was like a bunch of suckers like me who had spent all this money. Um, and then they rented these cinemas, so they would play your, they, they'd play your movie um, in, in a, you know, in a theater. And I remember we got paired up with this movie, short film called Huff Puff, which was like, literally something I probably had done in like high school just like a bunch of buddies who were just like probably smoked a joint and just were like goofing around right so that's so that was the, the opening to this my really extremely heavy you know deep depressing you know family portrait and it's just kind of like I remember sitting there I'm just kind of like man like what 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 is going on like what did I sign up for and like my friends too we had a good let me I think you had to laugh about it afterwards you know to keep it from crying because it was just so you realize right away it's like, okay, well, this is obviously like a huge mistake. 
Okay, another setback. But remember, Kirei has a singular focus, so this isn't going to deter him. So it's off to film school. But that experience, again, leaves Kirei a little underwhelmed. You know, you go to university and you do all this stuff, and they roll the red carpet for you for your big thesis films, and then after that, you're still a nobody. So it's like, oh, I'm still back in the same position I was even before university. If the only thing now is like, I might have a few more skills technically. Um, and I had, yeah, yeah, fine, yeah, fine arts degree. So I can go teach English in Korea if I want. Teaching English in Korea isn't really in the plan. So instead, Kirei starts production on a short film, Animal Control. Written, directed, and produced by Kirei. It's the story of an animal control officer and amateur taxidermist who discovers what it's like to care for a living thing for the first time when he brings home an injured Jack Russell Terrier. The film includes a graphic scene of the taxidermy of a raccoon. I told you, Kira doesn't shy away from the uncomfortable. Don't worry, no animals were harmed in the making of this film. But if you ever run into Kira, I suggest you don't ask where the raccoon came from. So this is the film that generates that late night call from Tiff and gives Kirei his first legitimate festival experience. As he said earlier, this was like a dream come true. So how could that go wrong, right? Oh, in typical Kirei fashion, something went wrong. Like, like most things in my life. It's, I'm one of those guys, it's kind of an ongoing joke with me, and my girlfriend, even close friends, like, if something can go wrong, it will when I'm involved. Or just even little things like, you know, if I go to a restaurant and I want to order something, it's like the one thing they don't have. It's like, it's like it happens all the time, right? Um, so it's just one of those things where, like, because basically it plays in a block of short films, right? It's like six or seven short films in this one block. And we were near the, we may have even been the last film of the program, which was kind of cool. But the problem was at some point, one of the volunteers in the hallway had left his wireless microphone on. Because, you know, they come in, they do like, oh, hey, welcome to TIFF, blah, blah, blah. So somehow it's turned on, so you can kind of hear them just talking at the podium outside the cinema. And at first, you're like, what the fuck is that? Like, what, where's that noise coming from? Is it coming from inside? And then once you realize what it is, by that point, we had, you know, someone had to run out and, like, be like, look, dude, like, you know, your microphone's on, turn it off, because we can all hear what you're talking about, right? So I remember that was, at a pr- that was pretty early on. That was, like, maybe, like, over, like, a pretty crucial scene, maybe, like, the taxidermy scene. So it kind of like, kind like of a bit. I was kind of like, you know, this is a scene that's supposed to like get people to kind of, you know, I want to evoke something out of them, an emotion, and they're being, you know, taken away by some these two kid volunteers who were just talking about God knows what in the lobby, right? Though it didn't exactly go perfectly, he's still at TIFF, right? That's gotta look good on his resume. The film even gets a small amount of press, so. This is still a really big milestone for Kirei. And no, I mean, I rode, I rode that way for a while because we went down to South by Southwest, which is another great festival. And we went to some other festivals as well. And I got to go, I mean, I got to play a lot of festivals and I got to travel a bit with it. It was really fun. And, you know, meet other people, see some other short films. I mean, the thing with short films too is like you realize a lot of garbage out there too, right? It's, uh, it's one of those things, it's like, if you watch a program of short films, one or two might be good, and the rest are just like, no, either don't even don't speak to you. Oh, even at a big festival like that, there's so many garbage films.
Little India neighborhood has influenced Kirei's work, even if it's been unintentional. Part of the reason for that is that he's written a lot of his scripts for his films in this very coffee time. I kind of liked I kind of like the energy that was always here in the middle of the night because you're not really sure what you're gonna get. It's always like a mixed bag, right? And that's like any any time of day here. You can come in here, you know, now at like 12 in the afternoon, or you can come at like 12 at night. And um, the cast of characters is, is always gonna be different. Like you definitely have like your regulars, um, and most of them kind of keep themselves, you know. I mean, playing cards in the back or just scratching like those like lotto tickets for like hours on end, right? Um, you see a lot of that here. But then, yeah, you get the odd person who may be coming in from a bar or leaving a bar um, and coming here to get like a coffee or just they, they, they just don't want to go home because the bar's closed. Well, what else is open in the neighborhood? I'll just hang out in coffee time for until, you know, whenever I have to actually leave. Um, for sure, I think so. I think again, it spoke. I think most of my work. Um, I think early on, what I was always trying to do, like any any kid, you, you just mimic what you see and what you what you like, right? So yeah, you know, you just mimic action movies. Or when you get a little bit older and you think you want to, just, you know, you want to be a little more. Um, I don't know. You, you want to be taken a little more seriously. You start. Mimicking, you know, your influences in terms of other Excuse things me, like. I, I want to walk in and yeah. That. You like that? It's a little recorder. Sound yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that what it yeah, is? it's just a little sound. It's a little sound recorder. Fancy electronic device that I've never seen before. I thought these took in the air and they checked that with some. Oh, they're microphones. They're microphones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Round microphones. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Pretty cool, eh? Cool. That's an older gentleman who'd been listening to our conversation for the last little bit. Yeah, high tech. Uh, what, a, what other services does it do? Yeah, it's just, just for recording. Just recording, yeah. Whether oh. you want to do interviews or you can plug like microphones into it separately if you want to record some other oh. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it does everything. Yeah. Crazy, eh? Technology. So I'm born way back late 50s, so... Right. I imagine this is the type of random conversations Kiray would find himself in right. yeah, while yeah, sitting yeah. here at 2 in the morning writing yeah, one yeah. of his scripts. I have one, but uh, yeah. I'm still figuring it out. Uh, so you will. Don't worry. You're not the only one. My dad's the same way. He just oh, yeah. he, well, he, he hates. Guys, they, yeah. they just go for the old flippers because uh, that's it. They're you can't go wrong with a flipper. Yeah, you, you know what you're getting, right? Yeah. That's it. No, totally. Um, where was I? We eventually get back to the interview, and Kire tells me more about the people he's met during his coffee time experiences. Some of the experiences are a little odd, but they're all strangely positive. But here, I, I, I don't, I feel like I don't have people um, looking me at that way. It's kind of, you kind of do your thing, right? And everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And um, I feel like places like, like Coffee Time here, everybody's just very accepting of who everybody is. And there's no, there's no, and you're nodding, you're, you're nodding. No, no, you're nodding. That's good. No, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's our new friend chiming in again. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it all works, right? Everybody just does their thing. It's a perfect little intersection. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. But everybody can, I think, coexist here. I don't know if I like about. It's a good. I think this place is a good mix of the whole neighborhood. It's a Yeah. 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 It's also, yeah, so 
Yeah, I guess that's why I've always kind of been gravitated towards this this kind of play, you know, coffee yeah. time in this neighborhood. People are real. They're real, exactly. Yeah. And I think all my work tries to show that. I try to show more um, real situations in in real in a sense where it's like people maybe don't necessarily give them a voice a lot in, in the arts. Hmm. So, yeah, like, you know, um, all my movies kind of center around characters who are a bit on the fringe, I would say. That desire to provide a voice through his work to underrepresented groups will be significant in his next project. Curie's experience on the festival circuit with animal control taught him an important lesson. There's no money in short films. You're not really, unless you're short, for some reason, like blows people away and wins awards on multiple festivals, you might get some attention from people being like, "Okay, this guy, what do you have lined up for your feature?" Right? But for the most part, me, guys. yeah, yeah. Give me a joint of hot so I have enough for a muffin. That's our friend again. In case he didn't catch it, he asked if we would buy a joint from him so he could buy a muffin. Yeah, this is coffee. Man, it's all good. Enjoy. It. I don't want to take all your weed anyways. Enjoy it. That's why I wanted to come here. Okay, so Kirei figures short films can't get him where he wants to go. It's time for him to return to feature filmmaking. Unlike last time, Kirei's now armed with the technical skills acquired at film school, and he started to find his own voice as a storyteller. Now, all he needs is an idea. But uh, I, I, I always I had the idea, while we were shooting Animal Control, I had the idea for Rainbow Kid, like just the bare bones, very simple. Like outline, and then it's one of those ideas that just didn't go away. It's like ah, uh, most of my friends thought it was really dumb. Like ah, oh, it's kind of stupid and funny. It would be ridiculous, and then it just kind of resonates. One of those ideas just keep comes back to you. I feel like, okay, and that's for me. I think what I things I tend to stick with are things that just don't go away. The Rainbow Kid is a coming of age story that follows Dylan, a teenager with Down syndrome. When he learns that he and his mother are on the verge of eviction. Dylan sets out on an odyssey to find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. At this point, Kiri's a little more seasoned and aware of the mechanics of getting a movie made. He comes up with the strategy of shooting a short film version of this story and using that as a marketing tool to secure the funding to do the version of the film that's in his head. It's a good plan, but there's only one issue. The short film bombs. The problem was it didn't work out that way. The short basically did nothing. It played Edinburgh, which was a pretty big festival. Um, and other than that, it really it didn't play TIFF. It didn't play any other Canadian festivals. Didn't, so you weren't able to pick up the support that you were No, it, was, it just totally died. Did that um, dissuade you from pursuing it as a feature? No. Were you like, maybe the story no. doesn't work? No, no, because I, I knew in my head... I mean, I still think it's a pretty good short to an extent. I don't, I don't think it's... I mean, it's... It's got problems. I think for me, it was really me, again, it was me figuring out how to work with Dylan, my main actor, and figuring out the tone a bit more of the story and what I wanted to do. He could have packed it in at this point, but he believes in this film's concept. So he returns to crowdfunding to supplement his own investment into the film, and he makes the feature-length film version. He makes it. I asked him to describe the production, and he summed it up in one word. Crazy, because I was doing everything again. I didn't have the money to kind of like hire. I mean, I had a team of people, but I was writing, 
the sole producer, director. I would be the guy who was driving the, you know, the the Winnebago to and from set every day. And I was, so I was the first guy on set and like the last guy to leave. When I should have just been focusing on. I mean, no, yeah, I, I'd be doing things like I have to go like empty the shitter on the Winnebago after we shot. And I probably should have been focusing on my next day's shot list, right? So maybe it wasn't the most glamorous of filming experiences, but he's doing it, right? He's making the feature-length film he wanted to make, and he's doing it on his own terms. The film, again, includes a ton of uncomfortable material. I don't want to tell you why, because I don't want to give away the plot. I hope you'll see this film for yourself. It's evocative. And like all of Kirei's work, it's hard to turn away from. The film earns Kirei his second invitation to TIFF. This time, no hot mic incidents. So, awesome, right? Well, that leads us to one piece of the story that I can't ignore. Kirei's films don't pay the bills. They generate them. Despite his considerable skill as a filmmaker and his success today, Kirei still struggles to make money off of his art as well as struggles to find funding for his projects. Remember, despite two films debuting at TIFF now, we're still sitting a couple of blocks away from that alleyway. The bigger problem is, if I was doing things that were more commercial and safer and things that would appeal to more of a broader audience, I could probably, it'd be different, it'd be different for me, but I, right away, I know I'm limiting myself because of the content and it's because of where I want to go with things. So I have no, I mean, although I still like to sell, I want to sell my ideas and get them out there. I'm also realistic in the sense where it's like, well, I know I'm not going to be making millions of dollars off these ideas, right? So I've kind of accepted that as well. I think the big thing is for me, it's like, if I can just get by, if I can, you know, just make a living doing these crazy kind of weird projects, um, I'll be okay. I don't necessarily need a mansion in Beverly Hills. I mean, I'd like, that'd be great, right? I, I wouldn't say no to that. Right now, he funds all of his projects through a combination of grants, crowdfunding, and tax credits. But that can only get him so far. He realizes that something's got to give if he's going to realize his dream. It's not a sustainable way to do it, because again, I mean, I can maybe raise like 90000 to get the thing shot, but that's still like me doing everything for the most part, right? Uh, it's 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 just not sustainable because it's so much work and like I mean it's great I love it but I don't want to be 50 and having the same kind of model of making a film I want to you know I definitely want to be at least be able to just write and direct and not worry about going to pick up the equipment in the middle of the morning right before we shoot or like getting my mom to do craft service right that kind of you know what I mean it's like I, you only do that for so long right so the plan is to do one more feature here low budget feature and then get the hell out of here get out of get out of Canada. Hollywood, baby. That's what's next. After making one more film, Kiri plans to head out to LA, Annie up, and see how the cards fall. Just like Mike McDee and Rounders, Kiri realizes he can't win if he doesn't eventually push his chips into the middle of the table. And losing, as we've heard, is something he's never been afraid of. If things don't work out in LA, Toronto's not going anywhere. Toronto's going to be the exact same when I come back. I mean, it might have more condos, but that's about it. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be... So, what's the worst that's going to happen? I come in, I, I have no problem, like, trying something and failing at it. I've done tons of things that I failed at, and you just learn from it, right? It's the thing, right? If you don't try, if you don't try to do something, then what's, what's, 
what's the point? I don't know. I'm very much into that. I'm just like, because if I if if I listen to everybody who told me the Rainbow Kid wasn't a good idea, I wouldn't have made it. Or people who like, yeah, after the short film did nothing, most people would be like, oh, maybe this is a bad idea. I shouldn't do this. You know, but I didn't. I was like, no, there's something here. I'm gonna keep pursuing this. You just gotta stick to what your intuition is telling you, right? And this this is what this is this is, this is what's calling you. I'm a big believer in what's calling you. You just have to do. Does Kiray's story end in the same place as Mike McDee's? A wide shot of him driving through the city in the backseat of a cab headed to the airport. Rounders closes with Mike still questioning whether he'll be successful in fulfilling his dream, but determined to find out. If I were a betting man, I'd wager Kiray's going to follow the same path. Just maybe short the three stacks of high society. If you don't know what that means, go watch the movie.